The Advanced Route is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know NFL ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the GameTime app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. Now, if you've been listening to the Advanced Route or any of our podcasts here at The Athletic, you know that I'm a big football fan. But it's not just football that I love. I went to a Rolling Stones concert this summer. My wife and I already have tickets for the Nutcracker. Yeah, that's right. The Nutcracker, the ballet for this winter. And you can get tickets like that on game time. Not just sports, but music and theater tickets as well. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download game time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Hello, everyone, and welcome into the Advanced Route as we get ready for week nine of the NFL season. Just five weeks left in your typical regular season for fantasy football. So not a lot of games left to win here. Hopefully we can help you do just that with this episode of the Advanced Route. I am Michael Beller, joined, as always, by Emery Hunt. Emery, how you doing, my man? I'm doing all right, Mike, man. How's it going on your end? It is going good here. Uh, like I said, uh, we got five weeks left in the typical fantasy football regular season. We are officially into the second half of the NFL season. Uh, Halloween, uh, just a couple of days away. Thanksgiving right around the corner. Uh, so things are definitely starting to get real for fantasy owners. We're going to uh, hopefully get into uh, what I think are a couple of interesting topics with Kenyon Drake and a big game this week. But I, I think we've got a, a good show planned here. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm excited as well, man. It's a premier matchup on the NFL schedule this week, one that is, should generate a ton of interest in reality and also in fantasy. Definitely. One that could uh, end up being a preview of the AFC Championship game or some AFC playoff game along the road. We'll get to Patriots-Ravens in a second. Before we do that, uh, as always, you can find Emery on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. You can find me at M. Beller. And uh, if you like what you've heard here, please subscribe, rate, review. It does help uh, whether you're on iTunes, Spotify, whatever, wherever you're listening to us, if you could uh, do all those things. Subscribe, rate, review. Hopefully it doesn't take you too long and it does make a difference for us. So if you've liked what you've heard from Emery and I over the last couple of months here, we really do appreciate that. You can also get yourself 40% off at theathletic.com slash the advanced route. That's 40% off an annual subscription to the athletic and be sure to check out the ranking show every Wednesday. That's with me, Jake Seeley and Brandon Funston, where we go over all the rankings, the big uh, borderline rankings. Could you start a guy? Could you sit a guy? Those are the guys that we talk about in the ranking show. We've got one coming to you on Wednesday and then every Friday for subscribers only Derek Van Riper and I hammer down the uh, start set recommendations that we're making for a given week. Emery, I got to imagine someone we're going to be talking about this week on the ranking show is Kenyon Drake. You and I are also going to talk about him here. Drake goes to Arizona, finally gets freed uh, from the clutches of the Miami Dolphins. Multiple regimes didn't want to commit to him, uh, finding ways to use Frank Gore last year, Mark Walton this year, rather than committing to Kenyon Drake. Now he goes to Arizona, a team that is suddenly in need of running backs because of injuries to David Johnson and Chase Edmonds. Emery, we're going to start with those two guys first. We're mostly going to talk about Drake, but I want to ask you first, when you see a move like this, 
What do you think that means long-term for Johnson and Edmonds? We know Edmonds is going to be out a couple of weeks with his hamstring injury. Yeah, I think it means more for a guy like Johnson as opposed to Edmonds. Edmonds is a young guy, has a lot of talent. And I think when you look at Johnson, I, I feel as though, you know, this is a guy that has probably maxed out as far as potential and production and anything you're going to get from here on out will just be, you know, good complimentary, complimentary football uh, coming from the backfield. But I envision now with Edmonds and, a, and Drake in the backfield together, it has the makings of something that could be more explosive than what they had with Johnson, who I, I've always said just isn't, isn't the natural runner from the position. He plays like a receiver playing running back. And now you get a guy like Kenyon Drake who has some natural running ability but also has legit explosiveness in conjunction with a guy like Chase Edmonds. So I like the move. I thought this was one of the trades that made a ton of sense, and it should help out Arizona long-term more so than short-term. You think that uh, David Johnson's on a different team next year? I believe so. I think so. You know, especially I'm surprised. Well, I'm not surprised that he didn't get moved now because he's injured. But I I don't see him being on the Cardinals this year. uh, Next year, I'm sorry, because of what they just acquired. And, you know, you already have a guy in in tow and Chase Edmonds. And you just bring in Ken Drake, who's also a very good receiver, just like Edmonds, just like Johnson, just like, you know, the backs on your depth chart. But He's younger, he's more explosive, less injury-prone, uh, so to speak, and and gives you more bang for your buck. All right, well, let's talk about the bang for the buck that the Cardinals and potentially fantasy owners could be getting uh, the rest of this season with Kenyon Drake. Uh, it's going to be uh, fire him up right away, a test uh, right off the bat. Uh, not only does he get the San Francisco 49ers defense in his first game as an Arizona Cardinal, but he gets them on Thursday night football with David Johnson and Chase Edmonds both out. Uh, how quickly uh, can Kenyon Drake get up to speed in Arizona? I mean, are they going to be able to throw him out there for the same sizable role that we would expect from Chase Edmonds or David Johnson? Were they healthy? Or do you think we see Zach Zenner and or Alfred Morris uh, mix in for Arizona? This, I, I guess they're for sure going to mix in. I get The question is, to what extent do they mix in? Is this going to be an 80-20 split in favor of Drake, or is it going to be something closer to 50-50? I think it's going to be something close to 50-50 until he gets acclimated to the playbook and uh, gets, you know, more in, um, comfortable with what the, the offense is. Right now he's coming in cold, and he has to get up to speed. So look for a 50-50 split this week, you know, for the Cardinals. Then as the season goes on, which each passing week, you'll see more of that tilt toward Drake being, uh, you know, the guy, As a, you know, especially when Edmonds come back, then it probably will go more to, you know, Edmonds than Drake. But right now, it's 50-50. You may even see Drake in certain situations where they're going to say, okay, we're going to run a screen this play, go in there, and you, you're the screen guy. You know, they're going to probably limit him until he gets comfortable with an, enough of the offense before he's out there full time. How hard is it for a back to change teams midseason like this? We saw this a couple of years ago with Jay Ajayi, uh, also with Miami, coincidentally enough, right? Uh, after the monster season in Miami, just didn't seem to click with Adam Gase, and they shipped him uh, to Philadelphia. Got himself a Super Bowl ring out of it, uh, but it seemed like it took him a couple of weeks before he really got going with the Eagles. Uh, how hard is it for a back to uh, to change teams midseason and pick up what the new team uh, is going to be asking from him on a week-to-week basis? It's not necessarily hard per se, because there's only a certain amount of run plays, you know, schematically, gap, zone, stuff like that, right? So that's the same across the board. What you're hoping to get 
up to speed with is the blocking assignments. And that right there differs from team to team. You know, you have different calls, different checks, different audibles, uh, different protections. And so once you get that part down, then they feel more comfortable putting you out there long term or for an extended period of time. But the run plays are all the run plays. They are what they are. Um, and you can get told that in the huddle. Uh, but with blocking assignments, they're telling you, hey, you have to be alert for this guy or that guy. It's way too much to communicate in the huddle. That's why you want guys to understand what the assignments are, where they have to go, where their hots are, where, they, where their checks are, uh, what, where, what are their alerts. Um, and, you know, that's going to take however long he's able to, to, you know, is up to the player. And it takes a, a little bit of time to get acclimated, get comfortable to where you're not thinking out there and guessing out there on the field. Yeah, it's uh, especially important in Arizona considering uh, they've got uh, the uh, future of the franchise to protect uh, everyone uh, putting their effort in there with Kyler Murray on the field. Uh, speaking of Kenyon Drake, uh, you know, looking at the player exactly, how is he? how does he fit in what this offense is going to want to do? Not just well, this week, but for the season. He's a quick starter, which means he doesn't need volume to be successful. And that's a great thing in this offense because they don't run with volume. They run with, you know, here's a carry here, there, and, you know, maybe two carries in a row. Then they get back to throwing because their passing game, their short passing game is, is, you know, I want to say a compliment to their run game. So it's just like their run game. And, and then when they get enough of those and they take their shots deep down the field. So they don't run with volume. He's a great guy, a spot starter. Um, our self-start, I like to say. And when you have guys like him and Chase Edmonds that are both the same way, it, it gives you, it keeps you consistent on offense. It helps breed that continuity. Um, and those guys will, will do a good job in this offense. This has been a very productive backfield so far this season between Chase Edmonds and uh, David Johnson. 595 rushing yards, 420 receiving yards on 42 receptions, 60 targets between the two of them combined, and 10 total touchdowns. So if you took Chase Edmonds plus David Johnson, you've got uh, you know right there with Christian McCaffrey type production. Could Kenyon Drake step right in and be that sort of guy, especially for as long as he has the backfield to himself? Yeah, I think he can be even better than Johnson. I don't think people understand Johnson's one good year was the anomaly. And everything else around that was the norm. Uh, and so when you have a guy that is a very good running back first and a great athlete and explosive player second, you're going to get a lot of what you get out of Chase Edmonds in uh, Kenyon Drake. Let me ask you this about Kenyon Drake, because it's something that always uh, puzzled me, especially the last couple of years. Um, you know, coaching aside, because, you know, if we're not in the building, you can't know everything that's going on. Is there any reason that you can see why things didn't work out for him in Miami? I mean, he was clearly, these last couple of years, the most talented running back on Miami's roster. Is there anything that jumps out at you that makes sense as to why things never clicked for him there? I think it's mainly because and I've always said this, it is never always about football um, when you see guys not play or not play a lot or um, someone you know, usurps them on the depth chart. It's never because of a lack of talent or, or, you know, it's never always about football. So it could be a situation where Gase just liked this guy better. And that necessarily mean that doesn't necessarily mean that was the best choice. Is that, you know, it's a personal thing. And you see that a lot across college football, uh, in some cases, high school football, 
and in the pros. It it doesn't change. So you know, you always take someone's situation and you know where they're coming from with a grain of salt. So you know, I, I just think that because he didn't get used a lot doesn't mean he's not a good player. It could just have been he was legit in a bad situation and finally got an opportunity. We saw this. We see this a lot. Um, you know, you saw this when the New Orleans Saints took a chance on an unknown receiver from uh, Kansas City. They signed him, and he became the Saints' number one. I'm talking about Joe Horn. So, you know, it just depends on the situation and the player. If, if you know the talent and you're the team that's getting the talent, you know, okay, I know I can do this with this player, X, Y, Z. There's always there's already a scouting report on him, both pro uh, scouting and college scouting. So they have a great grasp of what he can do and who he is as a player. And it's about them just using him to his full capabilities. This feels like an exciting combination, putting Kenyon Drake together with Arizona. As you say, uh, the talent's obvious. And even though he never became the workhorse back in Miami that a lot of people expected him to be uh, coming out of Alabama, uh, he did give us plenty of highlight plays and he did give us plenty of production with the opportunities that he was given in Miami. So now he goes over to Arizona, a very fast-paced, high-volume team, maybe not on the ground specifically, but a high-volume offense, a team that's going to run a lot of plays, a team that's going to give its back plenty of opportunities to make plays no matter who it is. And you have to love that they clearly invest in the player, right? I mean, when you make a move, when you see a team make a move like this mid-season, especially a team that, you know, maybe they're trending in the right direction, but most likely not going to make the playoffs this year. I mean, to me, that says that they really wanted this guy. They really wanted to get Kenyon Drake on the roster and get him involved. Uh, that has to get you excited, right? Yeah, I mean, because you you understand this team is still trying to win games. And, you know, this is an explosive offense. If you're a tailback, you would love to play in this offense. If you're a receiver, you'd love to play in this offense. So them getting Kenyon Drake and putting him in a situation where he's going to get utilized and you know, it's he's going to be utilized in a way where it's going to generate a lot of big plays. Him personally, that's a great thing. And for the team, that's a great thing. So I think it's a good move. Is there anything in his game that he brings different to this offense that we weren't really seeing out of either Edmonds or Johnson? I think what he brings that you didn't see out of Johnson is just natural running back vision and just natural running back footwork and natural running back feel. And so from that perspective, from all three of those things, yeah, he definitely brings something different to the table, uh, more so than Johnson. Let's say there's a point at this season when all these guys are healthy, Drake, Edmonds, and Johnson. What would you expect the the touch breakdown to be between the three of them? I think you probably go Edmonds, Johnson. I mean, sorry, Edmonds, Drake, and Johnson like that. So you could see a, re- a realistic scenario in which David Johnson – First-round fantasy pick David Johnson is the third back on his own team? Yep, I think so. Because at the end of the day, it's about talent. And the good part about having a new coach come in is that he has no biases. He's trying to win. You know, he he's dealing with his own, uh, you know, questions about his background and his track record. So he's just trying to win. He's trying to stack wins. And the best way to do that is, is playing the uh, best players. And Drake is, to me, a better running back than David Johnson. 
All right, let's take a look at uh, at this week in particular. We already talked a little. We're expecting somewhere in the neighborhood of a 50-50 split between uh, Drake and uh, Zach Zenner and Alfred Morris. Alfred Morris wasn't active last week. It was Zach Zenner who was the other active back alongside uh, Chase Edmonds. But uh, how about the matchup itself? Forget about the, the workload exactly. Uh, if you're Kenyon Drake, how does, or if you're uh, Cliff Kingsbury, how do you put Kenyon Drake in a good position to succeed against uh, a San Francisco defense that has been among the very best in the league this season? Well, you put him in in specific situations, you know, and you you keep it simple for him. Um, obviously, they're going to have some – again, the run plays are the run plays. Inside zone, outside zone, you draw plays and screens. You can have him do that, or you can put him in a game and tell him specifically what route he's going to run, and therefore you eliminate – him having to pass protect. Now you may tip a little bit of your hand as far as personnel is concerned. Like, okay, when Drake is in the game, they're not going to ask him to block, which is fine. But, you know, you can help him have success right away by giving him those specific responsibilities and and, uh, and try to take advantage of an over-aggressive defense because, you know, they're going to try to get pressure. They're going to try to, you know, frustrate or, you know, clog the pocket. Here's an opportunity to get a lot of chunk plays um, you know, with Drake as an outlet receiver or uh, Drake on these these trap plays or, or sprint draws, things like that. You find out what, what he's comfortable with. Maybe there's some similarities to what they did down in Miami to what they're doing now uh, in Arizona. So you find those commonalities and, and put him in a position to where he can have success. All right, so that's this week. I want to take what you said about what this week and where we expect him to be alongside Edmonds and alongside Johnson, maybe ahead of both of them, and apply it to the rest of the future. So going to play a little either-or game between Kenyon Drake and some big-name uh, running backs in the fantasy world. Not, not Kenyon Drake versus Christian McCaffrey, not Kenyon Drake versus Alvin Kamara. Got a good feeling of where you would go on those ones. We're not going to talk about them or, or Dalvin Cook or Aaron Jones or anyone like that, but uh, ones that are maybe a little bit more evened out. So rest of season, and we're including this week, we're saying right from the jump, from week nine forward, you're a fantasy player, Emery. Would you rather have Kenyon Drake or Austin Eckler? I would say Drake. I, I can trust his situation a little bit more so than, than Eckler. I think Gordon's going to start to get rolling, and that would mean less and less for Eckler. All right, then with that in mind, how about Kenyon Drake or Melvin Gordon? I'll go with Gordon in, in that sense. You think that Gordon uh, eventually gets things going on the ground. Obviously, it hasn't been pretty to this point. Neckler's been able to keep his fantasy value up because of what he does as a receiver. But you think eventually things get uh, unclogged for Gordon on the ground? I think so, especially with the firing of Ken Wisenhunt, the OC. So I think they'll try to do some things. And, it, you know, when stuff like that happens, you tend to go back to, you know, what's uh, your bread and butter. And you tend to think players and not plays. So Gordon is one of your best players. So you're just going to find ways to get him the football and get him rolling to get him jump started, because now they're in a stretch run to where there is an outside shot for them to maybe catch Kansas City. If not, they can definitely catch that six team in the wild card spot. On Wisconsin, Emery. That's the big part here. <laughs> <laughs> Go Badgers. Uh, it's been a couple of ugly weeks in a row, so I've been trying to find spots uh, so far. I can't shows. believe y'all lost to. Uh, <laughs> Illinois to Illinois. My <laughs> goodness. Tell me about it. That threw off everything. It, it, the whole college game day, everything was thrown off because you guys decided to lose to Illinois. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was not a pretty day. Luckily, I was uh, uh, on a bachelor party in Nashville that weekend. 
So uh, nice. I was, yeah, I was able to, uh, I was able to ignore it as, uh, as much as I wanted pretty much. So uh, that certainly helped me, but it's been a couple of ugly weeks in a row with that and then getting blown out by Ohio state. So uh, this week I've been trying to shoehorn in any positive Wisconsin references I've been able to uh, made uh, Brandon Funston and I talk about Alex Erickson on the, uh, on our waiver wire show yesterday. Got to get that Badger love in where I can, you know. <laughs> um, all right, how about Kenyon Drake or uh, Josh Jacobs? That's a good one right there. I'm going to go with Jacobs. I've been impressed with what Jacobs have, has done uh, this season, so I'm, I'm going to roll with Jacobs. I think it's it'll be Jacobs by, by a hair because Jacobs is the starter and unquestioned starter, so he's going to get the, you know, the, uh, the volume. So I would take Jacobs over Drake. And a very soft schedule coming up for Oakland over the next five, six weeks or so, if you haven't seen that. So nice, nice spot for, for really everyone in that Raiders offense. Uh, Kenyon Drake or Devontae Freeman? I'm going to go with Drake. I, I like Drake more than Freeman. Freeman, I can't trust his health. Um, and that's why I would go with uh, Drake in this situation. Both explosive. Both have the propensity to you know get those chunk yards. Uh, but I can trust Drake to be out there. Uh, the rest of the way. Freeman, he runs reckless and reckless tends to get you hurt. How about Kenyon Drake or Philip Lindsay? That's a good one too. Um, especially now with Flacco's neck in issue for at least five to six weeks. It may be a lot of Lindsay and um Royce. Uh free yeah, uh Royce Freeman. Uh but you know, I, I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Drake. I, I just can't Something about the Broncos ground game I'm not I'm not buying into just yet. Even though the numbers suggest otherwise, I just don't have a good feeling about their especially without a Flacco. Um so now teams can definitely key in on the run game and not they don't really respect Brandon Allen until he gives them a reason to respect him. So I, I think you're gonna see some drop off in production from those guys. So I would go with Drake in that case. Okay, just a couple of more. Uh, Kenyon Drake versus Jordan Howard. I'm going to go with Drake because I think Philly will start to realize how beneficial it is to have Miles Sanders on the field a lot. Uh, I want to say I saw a stat that out of the 10 plays of 30 yards or more, Sanders has seven of them. So there you go. Keep him out there. He's a big play waiting to happen. And I think that, you know, knocks a little bit of the, the luster off Howard. Uh, who's probably going to be relegated to short yardage or maybe even goal line work. Emery, we've talked about this a few times. Uh, so you said 30 yards or more. I just did this for for another show. The dude has touched the ball 85 times this year, and eight of them, 10%, have gone for at least 20 yards, Miles Sanders. And why is – so, again, why – if you if you saw that and you're a coach, you saw that live and you saw that on a stat sheet post game. why are you not having him as your starter out there on the field? I mean, at least get him more touches. It's crazy. 10% of the time, he's getting you 20-plus yards. He Football not ball. that hard, man. Yeah, right? I mean, that certainly does not feel uh, that hard. So I, I hear what you're saying with hopefully Miles Sanders getting a little bit more work for Philly. Two more. Um, uh, Kenyon Drake versus low ceiling but high volume back Carlos Hyde. I'm going Drake there because because of the explosive nature of, of Drake's game. Uh, you know, on both ends, Hyde is solid, but Hyde is not Drake in terms of explosiveness or in the passing game. And I, I think you're going to start to see a little bit more Duke Johnson as well. 
Yeah, Kenyon Drake, a guy who has certainly lived well when Houston, or uh, Carlos Hyde, excuse me, lived well when Houston has had leads, and we've seen him rack up big uh, carry numbers, but he needs those big carry numbers to really deliver. Last one, Kenyon Drake versus Sony Michelle. I'm gonna go with Sony Michelle here because he's the starter. He's their he's their guy. They're starting to rev him up toward the back end of this season. So I'm going with with Michael there over over Drake. All right. Well, you know, Sonny Michelle uh, also is a, a perfect guy to segue us into uh, our second and final topic for this episode of the Advanced Route. It's the marquee game of Week 9, Baltimore and New England. And we wanted to try something a little different on this week's episode of the Advanced Route. We haven't really dove into any one individual game in a week um, at any point this season, but we thought this was a good time to do it because we're starting to get late in the fantasy season and because this is a big-time marquee game from both real life and fantasy fantasy purposes uh the Ravens and the Patriots two of the best teams in the AFC likely two of the best teams in the entire NFL and an excellent matchup on paper specifically when Baltimore has the ball excuse me that's where I want to start Emery uh what do you expect to see uh when Baltimore has the ball with a specific focus on how does Bill Belichick game plan to slow down Lamar Jackson I think what you're going to see is a lot of spacing so they want to take advantage of the um you know the athleticism of Lamar Jackson so they're going to spread the field and force New England to desin- designate what they're going to do either they're going to blitz or come uh, or, or drop back in, in in coverage so i think people will look at this and say okay well you know they they do a lot of cover zero and they blitz like you can't do that versus a Lamar Jackson otherwise you're going to get burned for like a 75 yard touchdown run um, by Jackson. So they're going to go empty a lot, which means you're going to probably see a lot of passes come short passes going toward the tight end, maybe Willie Sneed, um, you know, Marquise Brown, a lot of slants. So you're going to see a lot of stop routes, a lot of slants, a lot of hitches, a lot of crossers, and some runs. So it's going to be the short passing game along with Lamar Jackson's legs that I think you're going to see right away from uh, from Baltimore. We hear all the time about Bill Belichick is so great at taking away uh, a team's best strength. He takes away what you want to do most. So if you are Bill Belichick and you're sitting there this week deciding what you want to take away from Baltimore, what is it? What scares Bill Belichick the most about Baltimore's offense? Lamar Jackson's legs. And the reason why is because those are cheap first downs waiting to happen. And the longer they're on the field, the less Tom Brady is. And, you know, that makes it a tight, tighter game. And it makes you kind of one dimensional in your in your approach. So his worst fear is for Lamar Jackson to have those 65 yard to 100 yard rushing games. Um, so he's going to try to limit Lamar Jackson's ability to run, which means you're going to see a lot of push versus pressure. They're going to not they're not going to try to fly up the field to get him in the pocket. They're going to try to rush to where he drops back and then start to squeeze that pocket around him and make him play a one dimensional game from the pocket. Um, now, he can do that. So with that being the the case, they're going to put a lot on those linebackers to cover. And we know those guys do a great job in covering. They're good athletes, um, especially Kyle Van Noy. So it's going to be interesting to see how Baltimore counters by trying to find opportunities for uh, Mark Andrews or Hayden Hurst. Now, do they have enough to where they can cover both guys while also effectively covering one of these other receivers? So it's going to be a big game for one of these ancillary targets maybe it's miles boykins day because you have to figure stefan gilmore is going to get one and it's probably going to be uh marquise brown 
and Boykin is going to have to step up. Snee's going to have to be the safety valve. If they take away Andrews, that means Hurst has to step up and play. Nick Boyle has to play, or they're going to, you can see a lot of screens with uh, Hill, the running back, and also Mark uh, Ingram. So they're going to need at least two of the targets outside of their, the, their core three to step up in the passing game in order to loosen up that pressure a little bit. So therefore Lamar Jackson can still do his thing on the ground. As you were talking about that, as you started your answer saying how Bill Belichick's worst nightmare is a 65 to 100 yard rushing game uh, out of Lamar Jackson. Uh, the first thing I thought of was Marquise Brown. Now, obviously he missed their two games going into the bye with the hamstring injury. Sounds like he's going to be able to play again. Uh, Emery and I are recording this on Tuesday. So uh, still very early in the week. How important is a healthy Marquise Brown for Baltimore's offense, specifically in this game, given the defensive firepower of New England? Well, it's very important because that's your deep threat. That's the guy that they have to respect. They have to shadow with the safety back deep to not get beat deep. And if you get time back there in the pocket, we know Lamar Jackson has found his deep ball accuracy with Marquise Brown. So that's going to be important for them uh, that he's out there healthy because if he is, that's the key. Boykin is a fast guy, but he's not Marquise Brown fast. And outside of Brown, there's no one else in that that receiving core of Snead, Roberts, uh, more none of those guys are fast uh, you know and so Boykin will be the second fastest and he's even not Marquise Brown fast so I think Brown gives him a different element gives him that Deshaun Jackson element and then if you have both Brown and Boykin out there and Boykin with his ability to get deep now you're starting to stretch out that defense and put a lot of strain on them in coverage therefore they're going to try to get you know those guys those linebackers back in those zones uh, to take away some of those quick windows, and now you open up the floodgates to where Lamar Jackson can take off and run. What is there a different role to play in this game for Mark Ingram and or Gus Edwards, or is it just uh, business as usual for them? Is there anything we see different because of an expected focus on the on Lamar Jackson's legs from New England's defense? I think you'll see them try to test that run defense of New England first because of the focus will solely be on, oh, you got to stop Lamar Jackson. So those zone replays, where Lamar Jackson uh, you know, gives the ball and fakes mm-hmm. like he's going outside, you're going to see a lot of that. And he's probably going to give it a lot on zone reads because he knows the attention will be solely focused on him, which means you're going to have a lot, probably a lot more success in a run game for Ingram and Edwards because now you have that extra offensive lineman getting to the second level with these, thus making it easier for Ingram and Edwards to have success running the football. So, because Lamar Jackson's legs are the biggest focus and worry for Bill Belichick, it also could be the greatest decoy for uh, John Harbaugh and what they want to do to, you know, kind of dictate the terms, so to speak, in their run game. Emery, you wrote a, a great piece uh, on The Athletic uh, that subscribers can uh, check out right now, theathletic.com slash the advanced route for 40% off. Just another reminder. Uh, the headline on this is Classes in Session, A Guide to Shutting Down the Lamar Jackson Haters. Uh, I just want to let you know that I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading that. Uh, so definitely something that, uh, that uh, I highly recommend checking out before this Patriots Ravens game and uh, I'm with you man it's uh, time for the Lamar Jackson haters to take a take a step back I appreciate that man because at the end of the day I just you know if you're doing it you're doing it and people are I I wrote in in the piece if you're a hater you're going to always see things from a hater's perspective and if you just can't accept the fact that this dude has had success at every level and has had tremendous success in his second season of let's say starting 
and you know whether it was here or at louisville then you're just a hater at the end of the day the dude has proven he can protect himself he can play a dual threat game and he's a winner and we saw last their last game against seattle how much of a leader he was out there on the field i think that right there is something that the ravens can point back to when it's over and said this is when lamar jack it became lamar jackson's team and so i think people right now just need to stop it with the with the nonsense because it, it can drift into a, a an unsavory territory uh with the commentary around these quarterbacks and and you know every and i listened in the article a lot of the quarterbacks they said couldn't do something and all you see is rookie of the, rookie of the years uh, playoff participants mvps super bowl winners and super bowl participants so if you are a hater and you say otherwise then you're gonna you know then that's just that's a you problem and not those guys problem <laughs> yeah i agree with you entirely it's been a lot of fun to watch lamar jackson since he took over as the starter in baltimore and that seattle win was uh, one hell of a performance uh from the quarterback how about on the other side of this game uh, when the patriots have the ball what do you expect we see uh patriots offense versus ravens defense what i uh what i see what i see so i'm sorry I said, what do you expect we see what, what do you, when, you, when it's Patriots offense versus Ravens uh, defense, the other side of this game? I think you're going to see them try to take advantage of the over-aggressiveness on the perimeter. You got a guy like Marcus Peters who's excellent, but he's prone to double moves, so you're going to see that. Uh, try to, they're going to try to take advantage of that. We don't know how explosive Earl Thomas still is, so they're going to put him in a situation where they're going to test his range and maybe give him a two-on-one situation where he's going to have to pick, and either way he picks is going to be the wrong decision, obviously, or they're going to try to keep him in a situation where uh, they're going to try to throw to where they don't believe he can get to, and he's going to have to prove he can get over there. Um, otherwise, it could be big plays down the field. So you're going to see a lot of you know, ways that they can challenge the secondary. So Philip Dorsett would be a guy that I would probably play, uh, pay a lot of attention to, um, fantasy wise in this ball game the run game I don't think they can run the ball well enough to be a factor the Ravens have been suspect a little bit on the ground but I think they've gotten better over the last couple of weeks so the passing game I think is where the Patriots will have to win and there's some opportunities back there deep down the field with guys that are over aggressive is it more a Dorset game in that way. I mean, Julian Edelman's still going to do his thing, right? But he's not going to be the guy who pushes the field deep, is he? So is it more a Dorset game in that way, even though if we're assuming that you know, Edelman's going to get his uh, eight catches on 10 targets for 90 yards, what he does pretty much week in, week out? Yeah, I think so. I think when you look at, um, you know, the the uh, the way they operate, it's just, you know what's coming. It's up to you to execute and stop it. Um, so we're going to learn a lot about the Ravens ability to execute open field tackles, you know, uh, not take the bait and hit Tom Brady late or hit these receivers late. You have to figure they're going to be calling this game close. So we're going to learn a lot about the the discipline of the Ravens defense against New England because you can beat someone with straight discipline. And that's how the Ravens tend to beat people. It's almost military program like to where they ch- they challenge your discipline. Can you stay disciplined in your assignment? And if you can, you'll win. But if you can't, like most teams can't, you're going to lose. You know, Lamar Jackson, Tom Brady, Mark Ingram, uh, Julian Edelman, 
Mark Andrews, these guys are going to be started by fantasy owners no matter what this week for sure, and no one will be surprised if any of those guys has a big game. Is there anyone else in this game who you think could pop up and have a big fantasy game who maybe would be a surprise? Ben Watson maybe. Oh. Um, someone like that because of the linebackers of, of Baltimore and how they haven't been as effective in coverage. You see the you see how much they miss C.J. Mosley who is now with the New York Jets. So I think Ben Watson could be someone that could have a, a sneaky good day uh, against his Ravens defense. I like that, especially with people uh, desperate for help uh, at the tight end position. Uh, all you Austin Hooper owners out there with uh, the Falcons on by, maybe Ben Watson, someone that you want to chase after to play uh, this week for one week. How about on the other side of this, Emery? Uh, anyone that you would that would, you know, just by their name and by what they've done this season – would be a surprise to have a, a bad game, but maybe because of the matchup you could see not living up to their week-in, week-out expectations? Well, that's a good question. You mean for the Ravens or for the – Either Patriots? side, yeah, either side. Wow. I would say probably for the Ravens, if you are trusting in Gus Edwards, I don't – you know, if you have Gus Edwards rostered or Justice Hill, Hill may be a sneaky one. Um, but I would say Edwards probably. And I think the Titans just it, it's they're gonna be productive regardless because that's Lamar Jackson's favorite targets. Um so Brown could be a, a potential dud this week because you don't know how healthy he's gonna be and if he's out there starting, if he's gonna finish the game. So I would probably say maybe Brown um and Edwards if you have rostered. I got to ask you one last question uh, here about the Patriots defense. Uh, believe it or not, they've been uh, one of the very best fantasy players this season. Uh, for my money, this is where things start to take a turn for them from a fantasy perspective. Uh, not necessarily from a real life perspective. There's obviously a ton of talent and a very smartly coached team. But from a fantasy perspective, I think this is where the ridiculous takeaway rate and uh, turning those takeaways into touchdowns starts to take a turn uh, for New England. Uh, what's your take on that? Is there any explanation for what they've been able to do defensively? They've just taken they've taken advantage of bad quarterbacks, number one, but they've also made plays that were there to be made. Coaches will tell you this all the time. A play doesn't care who makes it. It just wants to be made. <laughs> and a good part about the defense for New England, they don't drop those easy interceptions. You know, Sands the one Gilmore dropped last week from Baker Mayfield, but they don't drop interceptions. They, When the ball is on the ground, they swarm to the ball and get, get on top of it. And they put themselves in great position to make plays because of how aggressive they play. Because, again, they trust in their assignment. They stay disciplined. And it puts pressure on the opposing offense to – match their level of discipline and level of execution, which a lot of times teams can't, especially if you got bad quarterbacks. So because of how they play defense and, and how much they trust the scheme and also how opportunistic they've been, this is why you get a great defense in, in uh, New England. And so this will be a challenge because Lamar Jackson does a great, a great job of protecting the football uh, much better this year. As far as fumbles are concerned. Um, yeah. He had two fumbles against uh, Seattle, but, Obviously, that's that's a rainstorm and uh, one was a bad snap. So, you know, we we get that. But for the most part, he has protected the ball really well. And it's going to be a challenge to see if if Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense can match the level of execution that they're going to see from the Patriots defense. If not, 
they will find ways to turn the ball over. All right, Emery, I wouldn't be doing my job if I asked you questions about this marquee game for, what, about 18 minutes now or so and didn't ask you this one. At the end of the day, who comes away a winner in this game? I think Baltimore wins this game. Um, And I like Baltimore because of the Lamar Jackson aspect. He has that same level of of it that Russell Wilson has or uh, Deshaun Watson has. And, And when you look at how they play, they know they've been talked about, uh, you know, a lot in this game, uh, about this game. Uh, the Ravens haven't beat anybody, and, you know, they only beat up on bad teams. Well, then they go out there and dominate Seattle. That was an answer to what happened against Kansas City. And I think you're going to see something that we didn't see uh, in Seattle that we saw in Kansas City. We saw John Harbaugh coach a much better game against the Seahawks. He was a little bit too aggressive against Kansas City. And those points that he was chasing early in the game ended up coming to bite him in the end. They lost by five, and he gave away three points, essentially. So that last drive could have been for the game-winning points as opposed to trying to get back into the ball game. So we saw him correct those mistakes against Seattle, and they were out there dominating against the Seahawks. So we'll, we'll see a more well-balanced coach game by Harbaugh, but I think the Ravens right now, with two weeks to prepare for New England, Coming off of a short week, not a short week, but a late week, uh, because they had the Sunday night game, um, not Sunday night game, but they had a late game right. uh, in the afternoon. But I, I think uh, Baltimore can get this one. All right, there it is. You heard it here first, Emery, with the Ravens to give the Patriots their first loss of the season, no matter who ends up coming away with a victory in that one. It's certainly going to be one of the highlights of Week 9. We hope this episode of the Advanced Route ends up being one of the highlights of what is another great week for all of you out there. You can find Emery on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. You can find me on Twitter at and Beller Emery and I'll be right back with you next week in this space with another episode, excuse me, of the Advanced Route. We'll see you then. For Emery, I'm Michael. Have a great week.